Welcome back to Occasional Randomness. I'm your host, Eric Scott, and joining me, as always, my fellow co-host, someone who doesn't turn into a puddle of goo, Jason Johnson. Well, that may depend on how sad the movie we're watching is, but, you know, as I get older, it gets a little more emotion. Anyway, no, uh, as a general rule, you're correct. Yeah, no goo. We're good. Happy to be here. Although, uh, we watched the final episode of Ted Lasso the other day, well, final question mark, and uh, yeah, we were kind of puddle of goo after that one so yeah it's, it's all in context so yep. yeah all right so on today's agenda we will be continuing as always our recap of and discussion of farscape with season three episode 11 incubator and then we'll also be doing our little occasional branch out into something else and this time we're going to discuss the entire season two of star wars the bad batch and as a friendly reminder, if you like our little podcast here, please give us a like or a review wherever you listen to this at. Or better yet, help spread the word and let people know all about us. We would appreciate it very much. Absolutely. All right, so let's jump on into it. Farscape, Season 3, Episode 11, Incubator. Or Incubator, depending on how you pronounce that. The peacekeepers are continuing their wormhole tests, and another prowler pilot returns from a test flight and is another puddle of goo. <laughs> well, I guess at first you don't succeed, throw another prowler pilot at it. Researcher Strappa says that the wormhole equations Linfer decoded from Crichton's neural chip are incomplete. There's a little encrypted section. Scorpius believes that that section may hold the key to wormhole technology. Well, I guess because it hasn't worked out so far, <laughs> so why not? We're not, we're not, in the absence of it, information, whatever's left, right? Yep. Whatever's obvious must be the truth. But Linfer is certain that she's cracked it. So certain that she offers to pilot a test flight herself. Yeah, that never goes well. See the previous research. Anyway. Scorpius decides that it is necessary to access the neural chip to try to unlock the encrypted section. On accessing the chip, Scorpius enters into a dreamscape and finds John Crichton, who has no memories whatsoever beyond the operation to remove the chip back at the end of Season 2. Crichton doesn't believe that and thinks he's actually died on the table and has gone to hell with Scorpius being there. When Scorpius explains that, no, 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 he's not the real Crichton. He's a result of neural spillover of the real Crichton's personality into the chip. So these chips really just have a lot of spillover both ways is what I'm seeing. Yeah, I guess it's not exactly perfected technology, but hey, you're messing around with brains and things. You know, it's always complicated. See, goo. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Scorpius tells uh, fake Crichton that they're in Scorpius' head, and he plans on persuading Crichton to help him by showing him his past. He shows Crichton his first 12 cycles of life and his earliest memories of pain. The Scarans told him that his father was Sebastian and forced his Scaran mother to give birth to him. Back in the real world, on Moya, Crichton continues to make Moya fly around looking for wormholes, as they've been doing for the past 15 solar days. Darko is getting quite upset and feels that Crichton is indulging himself. He tells Crichton that Jewel and Chiana need to get off the ship because they're driving each other mad. Crichton says that after this one, they'll stop and goes off to get some sleep. Much to everyone else's uh, happiness. Yes, I think he wanted the pilot to wake him up after a while, and Darko's like, nah, let him sleep. <laughs> so, so basically, yeah. please, stop. <laughs> I think it was mutually agreed upon by the rest of the crew. Yeah, I think so, yeah. It was <laughs> unanimous, minus one, being Crichton, yeah. Back into Scorpius' memories, we learned that Scorpius was born with Sebastian heat delirium. Kind of makes sense. Tauza, the Scaran that was assigned to him, convinces Scorpius that his loyalties lie with the Scarans and that he would have to be learned to be strong. Scorpius explains that he was also taught endurance, and we see a little montage of Tauza taunting young Scorpius with water before pouring it all over the floor as he crawls after it. Uh, back in the real world again, a prowler emerges near Moya, sending a distress signal. Dargo and Shanna think it may be a trap, but the pilot says that the prowler is occupied by a Ralgarian, a species that he and Moya trust. It's none other than Linfer, and she requests to come aboard. Dargo, Chiana, and Jewel greet her with guns and deities and attack posture. <laughs> so, don't trust Pilot either. Linfer steps out of the Prowler and says that she has solved the shielding problem and asks Dargo to tell John Crichton that she has come to offer him the secret to wormhole travel. <gasps> that won't end badly. There's no chance. It's all going to be good. Yeah, well, you know, those, so this is the season finale of... No. <laughs> <laughs> Back on the command carrier, Nurse Freud tells Bracca that Scorpius' readings will soon be at critical levels. But Bracca tells her, don't do anything with him, continue on. Scorpius tells Crichton that Tauza's attempts to teach him control weren't entirely unsuccessful. He learned that his hybrid body has the ability to perceive energy readings. 
different for each species, and they change when the subject is not being dishonest. Uh, not being honest. Scorbus explains that her lies made him even more determined to find the truth about his parentage and says that he feigned obedience and over time she grew careless, but he did not. He managed to escape a scare in Dreadnought and hid on a commerce planet. Crichton, Neural Crichton, remains unconvinced by his story. Back on Moya, Linford tells Pilot and Crichton that Scorbius is still alive and says that she came on her own free will. She managed to find one of the wormhole's exit nodes, which she believed Crichton would have been attempting to study. So see, there was something nearby. She is convinced that Scorpius would have killed her, and tells Crichton that since the original craft did not employ phase shielding, his Farscape 1 craft, he's lucky to be alive. Had that wormhole been unstable, as most are, he would not have survived. So, puddle of goo, Crichton. Uh, she explains that she has developed a unique band of negative phase shielding, which allows any vessel to travel through any wormhole. She offers it to Crichton in exchange for Moya. Hmm. Crichton is against this plan, but Pilot seems ready to accept her offer. Hmm. Scorpius, meanwhile, tells uh, Neural Crichton that in desperation he traveled to the uncharted territories for many cycles before he eventually flew into peacekeeper space, surrendered to the first command cure he found. Scorpius proposed an exchange of information, some of his tactical knowledge of Scarens in exchange for the truth about his parentage, so he could find out who he should be. Peacekeeper Captain Moline told him that they knew what happened, and the Scarens did in fact lie to him. Scorpius was told of a leviathan that was full of civilians attempting to find a colonizable planet in the uncharted territories, which was attacked by Scarens. One transport pod survived, and we see a reconstruction based on the log files that Moline showed him. Uh, in those logs, we see a Sebation female and a Sebation male arguing over what just happened. During the night, they were confronted by a Scaren who killed the male and took the female. Scorpius says the transport pod was never salvaged. He went to find it, thinking that no one had touched it in 10 years, well, 10 cycles. Inside, he discovered the transport was actually trapped, and he was reca recaptured by Tauza. And then we cut to Tauza trying to get information on his peacekeeper encounters, after she told him that he was too weak to overcome his flaws alone, referring to his new cooling system that was now stuck in his head, while throwing one of his old coolant rods across the room. He was tortured, and the memory of this causes Scorpius to awaken and stop for a little bit. Strappa shows up and tells him that he believes Linfer may have intended to defect, and is gone, so Scorpius tells him to find out whether that was the case or not. Uh, back on Moya, the crew discuss Linfer's offer, and Crichton says that Pilot and Moya are warming up to that offer. Jewel, Chiana, and Dargo, obviously, are all against it for various reasons, and don't quite believe Linfer's story. Although Crichton acts like he's got Pilot and Moya's best interests at heart, it's clear he's more interested in how the deal will benefit him, and Dargo reminds Crichton that his attitude about wormholes is what got Zan killed. Ooh, slow burn, and walks out. Yeah, that's a, that's a bit of a low blow there, but true. Yeah, <laughs> could be. Meanwhile, Jewel takes some food to Linfer to get away from the bickering, but Linfer says that she was wrong, her tissue has begun to liquefy, and her shielding only delayed it. Uh -uh. Uh, the Prowler leaves Moya as Crichton runs into command and yells at Pilot to get her back. Uh, Linfer thanks Pilot for granting her request before self-destructing her Prowler. Crichton is a little more than peeved that they let her go, <laughs> but Jewel mentions that it's funny how Crichton supports Pilot only when they want the same thing. He tells her that's crap, but she says the truth is never crap. Meanwhile, back on the command carrier, Scorpius once again exits the ship and tells Neural Crichton that he showed him his memories to show what Scarens are really like. He asks Crichton to please help him, well not please, but as Scarens far outnumber peacekeepers and without a superior weapon, they will be destroyed. Crichton says that they want to kill Scarens, Scarens want to kill them. He doesn't see the difference, he could care less. So Scorpius says that he'll show him the difference. And we show that uh, Tauza telling Scorpius that she lied about his parentage to make him hate Sebations. She shows him his parents, Rylani, the mother, tied up, and a scared male who raped her. Tauza told him that the mating process fractured her fragile psyche, and during the gestation period, she pleaded for death. But because his birth was difficult, it was actually Scorpius that caused her death. In 90 such other matings, both the female and her offspring perished, but they saved only Scorpius to see if Sebation genetics could serve them. But they now realize that they are useless, even as breeding stock. The Sebation race will be eradicated. Scorpius managed to kill Tauza by sticking the shards of a shattered coolant rod into her eyes. Gross, nasty. <laughs> but effective. Yeah, that works. And then we see Scorpius' memory of a conversation with Captain Mullane, where he was told that his actions and obvious loyalty have led High Command to make him exempt from all purity regulations and accepted as a peacekeeper. But we can't accept air. Anyway, he tells Crichton that she's, he's, she's corrupt, so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's too far gone. Yeah. So. Yeah. He tells Crichton that he quickly advanced in rank and created a special task force to develop wormhole technology. 
Crichton accuses him of using the Peacekeepers to fund his pet project, but Scorpius insists that he's not intending to betray the Peacekeepers and will use it for personal reasons, as he doesn't want power, he wants revenge. To wipe out Scarens before they wipe out other races. He appeals to Neural Crichton's help, saying that eventually Scarens will reach Earth. Scorpius asks him to unlock the remaining calculations, but Crichton says it's not his to give away. And if you remember, the ancients told him, if you're not smart enough to, to discover it for yourself, you're not smart enough to use it wisely. He refuses, and as Scorpius tries to force him, he begins to overheat. On the command carrier, Scorpius is in obvious distress. Nurse Froy wants to remove the chip, but Bracca feels Scorpius is close to what he seeks. And when Froy insists, Bracca just flat out knocks her out. <laughs> and Scorpius wakes up, snarling as his coolant system starts to dangerously overheat. Bracca suffers some painful burns to his hands as he tries to retrieve the used rod and put a new one in there and take out the neural chip. Scorpius slips briefly back into the dreamscape only to find himself alone. Neural Crichton is gone. Back on Moya, Dargo visits Crichton, and Crichton asks Dargo if he ever wondered why, if they've been on Moya too long. Dargo says, yeah, they have, but the alternatives have always been far worse, and they toast to that changing. But Crichton reminds him that Scorpius is still alive and working on wormhole technology, and says that if Linford could find them, so can Scorpius. Finally, back on the command carrier, Scorpius recites equations to Strappa, because he actually got some of the information from the encrypted section, but it's not complete but that should put them back on track. Brecca enters and confirms that the chip has been destroyed by the heat. Scorpius says that doesn't matter. They may now have the data they need. He tells Brecca that his performance has been exemplary, assuring the relieved lieutenant that he was right to stop Froy from reviving him. Once Brecca leaves, Scorpius steps up and looks pleasantly at a plant, the same type of plant that was outside his mother's transport. Some trivia about this episode. The director, Ian Watson, compared Scorpius's story to The Legend of Tarzan, except that in this case, Scorpius is trying to escape his captors. Ben Browder chose to play the neural clone as if the events of Season 3 had not occurred, and he had been suspended in time when the neural chip was removed from Crichton's head at the end of Season 2. And this is the only episode in the entire series that is centered around Scorpius. And finally, Jewel and Chiana have a little exchange in which Jewel notes, didn't you come on board as a guest? And that's true for the first few episodes in the real world, Gigi Edgesley was credited as a guest star, just like Tammy McIntosh is in this season, even though she's effectively become a regular. Alright, so that is Incubator. What did you think about this one? I actually really enjoyed this one. I think um, it's it's neat to get a chance to finally, after who knows how many episodes, I, I've lost track, of Scorpius being kind of a, moving from what, background character to tormentor to the big bad to whatever he is this season where you're not sure if he's the ultimate bad guy or not. And all the fun stuff that we've gotten that to actually have him be the, to get to see behind the curtain, right. And see the background. Um, I think we'll get into some of our questions about the accuracy of that background, but yeah, I think overall it was, it was a good episode. I enjoyed almost all of it. I can't think of anything major on this one. So yeah, I think we, as we break it down, I think this was a, a positive one. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I always like a good backstory, you know, especially when you get into the villain backstory. It's like, you know, why are they a villain? Like, why do they do what they do? And yeah. just wait. Well, we'll have the movie of this one come out from Disney uh, not too far from now. You know, you've had Maleficent. You've had, you know, all, all the villains. So Scorpius is going to get his own on series. Just wait and see. Harvey the Musical. No. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. Pitch it. Yeah, there we go. So yeah, so, so speaking of our, our main uh, main topic person here, Scorpy slash Harvey. Uh, so I guess the the big question is, do you think he's telling the truth about his life story to Neural John, or since he just wants what Neural John has about the wormhole equations, is he just kind of spinning a tale to make Neural John sympathetic and give him those encrypted data? And I guess you know, after all, they say you know the best lies are cast in truth, so parts of it could be true, right? Yeah, I I think yo. Know, He's most definitely an unreliable narrator. You know, I don't know that we can ever truly trust him because at this point he's been a, a ma the, I don't want to say master manipulator, but the manipulator behind the scenes, right? He's, he's set them up uh, a good number of times and you never really know where he's coming from. But I do think it's possible that at this point he may even believe what he's saying though. So even if what he, the story that he showed Crichton is not 100% accurate, it's probably exactly what he believes at this point. And, you know, kind of since there's no evidence to the contrary, you know, I will actually give him the benefit of the doubt and say that, sure, why not? You know, whatever he said to John is true. You know, I mean, he is working for the peacekeepers. 
True. And both he and the Scarens do hate each other, <laughs> as we've seen. And, you know, it's perfectly plausible and, and honest that, you know, he wants revenge for what happened to his mother. I, I, I get that. That's understandable. And, you know, of course, he's working for the Peacekeeper, so, of course, the Scarens hate him. And, yeah, and it totally makes sense. And they've caused lots of deaths of Peacekeepers and vice versa when they escaped their custody. So, I mean, it all tracks. So, sure, let, let's, let's give them the benefit of the doubt, right? I think for the purposes of this conflict, you're correct. You know, the enemy of my enemy of my enemy is my not enemy. <laughs> I don't know uh, how that, that there's a lot of angles to that triangle, decahedron, polyhedron, whatever we're at now. But yeah, I, th- I think at this point, it's an interesting thing because we've had the peacekeepers be the bad guy for so long. And now not only are they not the bad guy possibly in this conflict, but they're not the most powerful either. Yeah. The Scarens are, are presented as a much more powerful enemy. So we've, we've, we've stepped up a notch in this galactic war. Yeah, and you know, and granted, you know, Crichton and Scorpio didn't have the best beginnings, right? I mean, they had a little accident at the beginning, which who cares? You know, it wasn't Crichton's problem; it was Chris's problem. But then once Scorpius knew Crichton had wormhole technology and actually went through a wormhole without turning into a big puddle of goo, you know, he's got more interested in him. And you know, granted, that was all because of uh, physical torture back in the Oro Chair days, and then later, you know, lots of mental torture with that neural chip. So you know, this chip is his last chance outside of probably getting a hold of Crichton again. So, I mean, he could be like, okay, I'll try something different this time. Rather than be, you know, the bad boy or the bad guy, I'll be the, you know, the good cop, you know, and be nice to quote-unquote Crichton and try to get his trust. Although, yeah, at this point, I think it's probably a little too little too late there, dude. Which takes us back to the beginning with Scorpius, like you said, and, and, you know, how different would this be if they just been less antagonistic and actually worked together from the beginning? You know, if they'd have been, I'm putting air quotes around, on the same side. And he'd worked with John to get John home. If he just said, hey, I'll, I'll get you home if you get me this and give you resources if you get this technology to us before the Peacekeepers became the ultimate big bad. And I know Crace had done a lot of that already. Maybe it'd be different. But yeah, it's way too late for that at this point. Yeah. And then, of course, it'd be a lot boring, a lot simpler and a lot quicker uh, series that they would all have been like, you know, oh, great. Everything's happy. Great. Here's your stuff. Goodbye. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, they could go back and do a how it should have ended for this, and it'd probably be totally different. But like you said, much more boring. So. Mm-hmm. And then when I was thinking about it, um, if you do think about Scorpius's story, I mean, it could be like a hero's journey, like a hero story. And if you think about it, you know, he, he's oppressed and held in captivity for years. He's kind of tortured. He learns his tragic backstory. Like all heroes have a tragic backstory, right? You know, he eventually escapes his captors. He goes to their enemy and convinces them that he's of value, he can help them. So, you know, that's a hero's growth, right? He works hard. He rises in the ranks. He's respected, I guess, kind of. And gets to a point where he can save his adopted people from being destroyed by the same people that he hates. So in another universe, this could be a whole different show? Well, I think it goes back to, you know, we're all the hero in our own mind, right? Nobody goes into things thinking they're the bad guy. So if, if you turn it around, kind of back to my joke earlier about making a spinoff movie where uh, he's the tragic backstory hero. You can do that with, with anybody. And I think in this case, definitely right. He's got all the makings of a, of a hero. And in his mind, he is, it's just that we're seeing it from the other side of the battlefield and uh, are being presented from the opposite viewpoint. Yeah, true. I mean, you know, every villain doesn't think they're like the mustache twirling, you know, maniacal laughter kind of person, except maybe, syndrome on like the incredible but other than that you know, <laughs> you know everyone thinks they're the good guy right yeah everyone's not like you know oh, i love getting up in the morning and torturing people because that's what i do you know it's so but but even syndrome was right on a, on a one level right if everybody's super nobody is so yeah fundamentally he's not wrong and yeah yeah so i guess as a as a old obi-wan said everything's true from a certain point of view right <laughs> so. that, that's right you know not not to turn this into the incredibles uh podcast but you know i, I do think you're right in, in your own mind you're you're a hero and scorpius definitely fits it yeah and then uh, like the trivia said and i'm glad that they did this i'm glad that ben decided to play the neural clone neural Crichton. like he had no idea what happened for the last 11 episodes because that makes sense because that's when the chip was removed at the beginning of at the end of season two, beginning of season three. So, yeah, I mean, if he would have had more foreknowledge or played it more of like what he knew after that, that probably wouldn't have gone over too well with you know fans. 
So, and it was was kind of funny how he thought that he wasn't the chip, and he thought he was a real Crichton, and that he was dead, and this is all hell, and Scorpius is there. <laughs> so. I spent way more time than I should have trying to come up with a good name for mental Crichton, kind of like he did for Harvey, right? So, because we've already got several John Crichtons running around, so I was really trying to have this one have a cool nickname, but I'm not good at that, so I don't have one. Yeah, anyway, it would have yeah, been I mean, fun. It, it, it would have been fun if like Scorpius named him, like give me a nickname or something. But yeah, that wouldn't <laughs> that wouldn't work out. Yeah, and you know, with the chip melted down, unless he shows up in Scorpius's mind again later, which he could, we may have seen the last of Chip John. Yeah, because it was like what a couple episodes ago. Yeah, the, the chip wasn't evolved, and when Scorpius was asleep, you know, Crichton was there. So yeah, maybe we'll we'll see. Yeah. Got to get Ben Browder some more time on screen, right? He's he's suffering in that department. So yeah, he's only doing two uh, two characters now. Let's bring another one or two. <laughs> That's right. Which is, everybody can have a Crichton in their head at this point. And this be the John Crichton show, and then uh, back to like other people of the show. Not it's not just uh, John and Scorpy. Uh, so you know Moya and crew are still floating around space looking for wormholes, trying to find any, and yeah, he's. A little obsessed, but not as much as he was last time. And at least this time, finally agrees. Okay, fine. One more. You know, we'll hang around for a little bit, and then we'll leave. Although I probably think he would have hang around a lot longer. But I guess Dargo convincing him that please, let's do, let's get out of here before Chan and Jewel kill each other would be most preferable. Please, giving you some believable crew dynamics, right? I mean, that's that's one thing that I think a lot of space shows don't. I mean, they may have one-offs, but they don't spend a lot of time on is your crew going stir-crazy aboard the ship and needing to get off and visit, uh, mainly just for being cabin fever aboard a ship, right? Not being the Star Trek expert, I won't make any aspersions to the entire series, but I can't think of any episodes I saw where they were all having cabin fever and needed to get off. But uh, I can definitely see it happening on Moya with such a limited number of crew. Yeah, and they're always on the run. You know, it's not like they're part of an organization. They can just go to like shortly planets and you know off time. It's like they're always constantly under pressure, under stress. So yeah, it's like you know you can believe it. Yeah, that Joel and Chandler are ready to like you know come to blows here at this point. So Darbo's like, please, can we just move on, <laughs> go somewhere else? Yeah, right. <laughs> and then we actually get, I guess, a speaking part for Linfer in this episode. I guess she was in the background in um, losing time a couple episodes ago. And this time, obviously, she's in the foreground. And I guess I asked the same question. So, like, Scorpius's story to Neural John, do we believe her story? Was she really there to give Crichton the technology so she could, you know, take Moya and have John, you know, get what he wants? If I mean, Pilot does say he trusts her species, since they're peaceful explorers, who treat Leviathans and pilots nicely, he said. And I guess that's what Pilot wants to do, is explore deep space and unknown space, so... She told Pilot what he wanted to hear, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, sure, why not? Again, I have no reason to believe otherwise. So yeah, I'll say I believe her. You know, she worked with Scorpius long enough to see what happens to people who don't do well for him, and probably wanted to get away <laughs> once she thought she had it figured out before she was no longer useful. Is my theory. The only problem I have with that is, you know, the Pilot saying that they treat Leviathans nicely and pilots and everything, but yet she's working with the, the peacekeepers, and we've seen what they do to Leviathans. So while she may, she seems to have, well, I won't say no issues, she, she ran away, but she, we, when we, we were introduced to her, she's working for the peacekeepers seemingly willingly. But I will say that, yeah, uh, there seems to be no reason for her to lie to the crew, especially once she knows she's liquefying, right? I mean, even if she came in with ulterior motives, she doesn't change that story or recant when she finds out she's dying. Yeah, and you know, who knows what her backstory was because we didn't get time to go into it, and now she's dead, so who cares? No, <laughs> but you know, maybe she was captured, or maybe she heard about the wormhole stuff, so she wanted to get, you know, wanted to learn about it, so then she could then take that to a Leviathan, so they can go exploring. Who, who knows? I don't know because they seem to both like exploring, but yeah, who knows? But yeah, yeah, and and the crew could have used that um, extra uh, ship. You know, she blew up a perfectly good prowler, so. Yeah, right. We've lost Aaron's Prowler. That's been gone for a while. We got Dargo's little ship he got from the one space station place, which we haven't really dealt with much yet. So who knows? Maybe we'll use that thing eventually. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure it, yeah, you will. They have, they have I, to. I feel like you're hinting at something there. <laughs> yeah, you know, wink, wink. My, my foreknowledge is spotty, but yeah. Anyway, And yeah, of course, the rest of the crew thinks Crichton's being selfish and doesn't quite, but also doesn't quite believe what Linfer is saying either. 
and they're probably right, I guess, about John. You know, I mean, he is obsessed about getting home, and you know, why wouldn't he be? You know, he's the only one that doesn't belong, you know, in this part of the galaxy. And if she did manage to come through a wormhole and as a way for him to get back to Earth, I mean, he'd be insane not to take it, right? But in end of the day, it doesn't matter since what she came with wasn't good enough, and rather than die a slow death, at least they let her leave so she can blow up her prowler before the end comes. Crichton's, of course, really mad, but then Joel says, you know, pretty much, yeah, stop being selfish fool. <laughs> Farscape's another one of those shows, I think, that gets um, correct the fact that all your characters and, and your hero isn't perfect, right? Crichton's not the perfect uh, altruistic hero. From the start, one of his main goals and, and purposes has been to get back home, right? That's kind of his uh, one of his flaws, his character flaws, is that, you know, when presented with the opportunity, he wants to go back home, just like Originally, Aaron's was to get back and, and redeem herself to the peacekeepers. Uh, Crichton still has his ultimate goal of getting back home. And, you know, if you think about it, if this copy of John is the one that doesn't end up with Aaron, because the other copy is the one that's currently with Aaron, then he really doesn't have that to hold him to the Farscape, or excuse me, to the, well, whatever we call this universe, right? The characters and being away from Earth. So maybe he, he's the one that gets to go home and live that life instead of living with Aaron, because she ended up with the other John copy. Yeah, and not to mention all that, it, yeah, think about it. Like, What if this was true and he could get home? Would he just jump the chance and go and leave his other self hanging out with Aaron? Or would he? Would they want to go get them and be like, okay, hey, hey, other John, do you want to come back home? I mean, that'd be weird. Hi, Dad, here's me and me. You know? <laughs> but... Yeah, I met a twin, and, you know... <laughs> no, but right, just, just leave one to be the Farscape Crichton and another to be the Earth Crichton, and that'd be how we differentiate them. I don't know. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, how selfish would he be? Right? Yeah, would he, would he like leave himself behind? <laughs> I don't know. Just fun, fun to think about, but yeah, don't have to worry about it because it didn't happen. So, so. so, what you're saying is he would be beside himself to go home? Literally. And then, of course, we end the episode that uh, seems Scorpius does have some of the encrypted knowledge from the neural chip. So I'm sure that's not going to be very good. And that will lead us into future episodes, I'm sure. Yeah, so whole burning up the chip inside his head as he overheats was not for nothing. We get some uh, benefit out of it, and Scorpius gets to move forward, even though he's lost his successful lead scientist, or whatever she was, uh, who had the ability to decode some of the shielding stuff. But maybe he's got that in some of the data he already uh, extrapolated for himself. Yeah, because you kind of wonder what they want. Like when they say wormhole weaponry, like what do you really mean? Do they, do they need to like create wormholes so prowler pilots can go through them to like attack or drop bombs or do something against the Scarens? Or they just want to use it to create wormholes to suck in the Scarens to kill them? So in which case, why care if people can get through it alive or not? They can't. So if that's the goal, why keep throwing people through it? So that must not be the goal. It must be something else, which again, we'll find out in future episodes. That's true. You could always just throw a prowler and have it explode right yeah or like send an unmanned ship through whatever i don't know but hey who knows you know i guess maybe you're making a little wormhole missiles i don't know <laughs> we'll, we'll see what they come up with right right all right anything else to talk about on this one that we haven't talked about no i, th I think we covered most of it um as i said at the beginning I, I did enjoy it i thought it was a a good episode and these these backstory episodes are always fun to throw in occasionally so we can get the the story from a character that we've not spent, well, we spent time with, but not necessarily from their point of view, right? We've, we've had an antagonist, and now we've got to see uh, a bit of the history through their eyes. Yeah, so now the, the audience has a better understanding of Scorpius, not the characters. So next time they run into Scorpius, they won't have all this tragic backstory of, oh, his mom was raped, and he was tortured for most of his life, and oh, poor, poor pretty Scorpius. Right? So it's going to be the same <laughs> yeah, the same to them, right? So we'll see how it unfolds. Right. That's true, because our John doesn't know anything about it. Only the Harvey John, mental John, whatever we want to call him. So. Yep, and he's gone, supposedly. So, who knows? Hmm. All right, so before we get into our discussion of the Bad Batch, so we'll just let you know what we're doing next here. So next time, we'll do Season 3, Episode 12, because we just did Episode 11, so, you know. Uh, the episode is called Meltdown. So, playing our usual guessing game... Well, let's see. So this was Moya's crew. So next week must be Talon's crew if we're keeping the sequence. So meltdown. Let's let's go with the only. Well, not only, but what it means probably is some kind of emotional meltdown. I'm gonna guess of Talon or Crace, since they're both kind of more neurally connected now from the prior episode. Could it be a, li a literal meltdown, like a reactor or an engine or something? 
because Talon was damaged, but he was healed probably last time, so that's probably not it. So I think I'll, I'll stick with the, the mental meltdown of Kracer Talon. And see, I'm, I'm going to take the opposite approach and say I think it's either uh, a mechanical issue with Talons because, you know, while they have gone through the health issues of the last couple episodes, I don't think we've actually seen a, a completely healthy Talon, so we could still have mechanical issues. There could also be a, a crew meltdown, right, where we've got kind of more drama between the, the crew itself and, and Krace um, now that he has more control over Talon. So maybe it's uh, a dynamics meltdown, but I, I'm leaning towards mechanical. Okay. Well, if one of us is right or we're both wrong, we'll find out <laughs> next time. So. Statistically, that's how it works, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Either you're right, wrong, or not. Or you're a tie. I don't know how that could be, but, you know, let's see. All right, so that's your homework for Farscape. And after pausing and probably dropping in the shortest opening theme credits of a show to for the Bad Batch, we'll cut over to Bad Batch Season 2. All right, so like we said last episode, last podcast, uh, we're not going to recap all 16 episodes of Bad Batch Season 2, because that would take us longer than anybody probably really cares about. So we're just going to But maybe... I wrote out all these episode yeah. recaps. <laughs> <laughs> episode 1. No, no, okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so we'll, we'll just kind of like... Uh, we take take the whole chunks of the of this of the season here and just kind of talk about them abstractly since you know we are gigantic Star Wars fans so we do want to talk about it because it is fun and entertaining. All right, so yeah, so 16 episodes. So yeah, if we look at it in kind of like what do we call it, self-contained story arcs or chunks or plot lines because they do have a bunch of stuff that carries over a couple episodes, right? There's a bunch of I don't want to call them themes or yeah little plot threads or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, they did a real good job of, I think, mixing and matching standalone um, episodes with, hey, wait, this note's going to carry over. So you got a little bit of both, I think, throughout the season. Yeah, and I guess because it's 16 episodes on like a live action, like, you know, eight episode season, there's like three episodes that don't even have the Bad Batch in it at all, which does. Yeah, kind of like the, the Boba Fett episodes, which had the Mandalorian in it. Yeah. Oh, wait, yeah. never mind. <laughs> Mandalorian 2.5, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> but even those standalone quote-unquote episodes weren't really standalone they, they they fed into the overall season plot and probably bo- both seasons you know of you know, how we get from the clones being the main armed forces members of the to the empire phasing them out for imperial citizens right you know so those episodes kind of focus on you know crosshair other clones Vice Admiral Rampart, who's the big bad, I guess, of this season, sort of, who's trying to get rid of the clones. And then Senator Chuchi, which I keep wanting to say Chachi, but no, it's <laughs> Chuchi, who's trying to help the clones. No Joni, just Chachi. Right. Yeah. Just Chachi, yeah. And then we even have one of the Bad Batch leave the team for a couple episodes to help with, you know, Chuchi's clone veterans benefits kind of thing, right? To help them become citizens again and, you know, get out of the clone army. So that's kind of interesting. So what do you think about uh, that kind of plot line and those stories? So I, I did enjoy it. Uh, so a little bit of backstory here. I'm a, I'm a pretty big Echo fan. Actually, we our cat's even named Echo. Um, but uh, I wasn't a big fan of him leaving the episode, or leaving the, the series, right? That kind of... I'll, I'll circle back to this at the end, but I, I think that uh, that was one of the more worrisome parts to me, not because they didn't do a good job with it, because they did. It just was... I, I missed the character on the show and didn't want to lose him. Um, that was one of my favorite parts of when the Bad Batch started. Um as part of Clone Wars, was the introduction of Echo onto the team. But on a larger perspective, I did enjoy the focus shift a little bit because that's one of the interesting dynamic shifts between the the start of the Empire and the Empire that we're introduced to in uh, Episode 4 is the, the shift from all these clones, right? We get reference to the Clone Wars, which I think the Clone Wars series did a great job, spoiler alert for my thoughts on that, but of making us identify with the clones, but it's interesting now to get that gap up. Well, great. But how do we go from this really good army of clones to these human conscripts that are terrible shots, right? Where did that shift come from? <laughs> and so we're kind of getting a little bit of that with the backstory here with Rampart and the, the, the shift in, in the clone project. 
Yeah, because you know, obviously, this when Lucas first did this back in you know seventies, you know, he wasn't probably thinking that far ahead. So like you know, when when Luke's asking Ben like, "Oh, you fought in the Clone Wars?" We're like, "What Clones Wars? What?" You know, and it's like a one-off line. So you're thinking this happened like a long time ago because you know Ben was you know however old he looked in the sixties or whatever. So you figure this is like back forty or fifty years, right? But really, it's only like twenty. So it's kind of interesting to see like how fast the Empire kind of consolidated their own rule and kind of started divesting as fast as possible any Old Republic remnants. Like, oh yeah, this clone army, even though you think, you know, they've been bred for obedience and, you know, they also put the, you know, Order 66, you know, they brainwashed them in anyway. So it's like, you would think that'd be like a solid troop, whatever, army. But yeah, they were like, nah, we're going to get just get rid of them as fast as we possibly can. <laughs> get our own people in there. Yeah, it, it's amazing how fast bureaucracy works, right? <laughs> Yeah, or for Mandalorian, how they don't work. So yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of interesting uh, little dichotomy there. But yeah, you know, somebody figured out you could save two cents per soldier if you went to a, a non-clone army. You know, it's all it's all in the bean counting. Yeah, and I guess plus since you've already torched the clone, the you know Camino anyway. There's no you know this that avenue is pretty much over anyway. So you know there's no more replacements coming from clone batches. So it's like yeah, we kind of forced the hand of. We need our own people in there and just get rid of these clones now because, you know, they're obsolete. But that was their plan when they torched Kamino, so. Yep. Yep, so plans within plans. The, the long game, yep. And let's see, then, about, it's about half the season, the Bad Batch is still, quote-unquote, employed by Sid. You know, they're doing, still doing the odd jobs here and there to get her money and other salvage, and I guess they can keep, you know, having something to do. Although... Maybe I have a, like a, a rose-colored view of season one, but this time around, they seem really bad at whatever she wants them to do, right? I mean, or at least unfortunate, I should say. They don't get much from Count Dooku's war chest, the whole war, you know, a couple of episodes there. They get maybe one or two things, not, not that much. She got she gets this mine for them. She bought a mine. She wants them to go, you know, collect her stuff for profits or whatever she wants out of that. I don't know. And that doesn't go over so well. In fact, they get their ship stolen. <laughs> Oops. And the mine turns out not to be really that profitable anyway, at least, or at least her part of the mine. You know, the planet has lots of stuff on it, but not her piece of it, so oops. And then, I guess, when they hear more about the clone issues, obviously they want to do more about that, because that's, you know, their brothers, their people, whatever you call it. And they want to do more of that, and they want to go off with um, Fee Genoa, that, that character that they brought on. And I guess that, I guess... Was kind of like the final straw in, in the that broke Sid's back, I guess so to speak. You know, she got so annoyed that, as you found out at the end of the episode, in the season, uh, she betrayed them to the Empire. So yeah, that's that's an interesting dichotomy as they kind of walk them away from her during the series, right? I, I do agree they seem a lot worse at it this year um, or this season, year. <laughs> but <laughs> well, same, I, I same think thing. that um, yeah, yeah. In in TV season terms, I do think that there's a. Uh, interesting shift in it and i think some of that's just plot right we see that because they need to drop the wedge between her and the crew right they, they're it shows that while we thought that she was kind of befriending them it, it it really is just a business arrangement to her as long as they're profitable to her then she's gonna back them but as soon as they start costing her money and not being what she wants then she'll she'll make money where she can which i think they should have seen coming i mean I know we've got some naiveness with them for being soldiers their entire lives and not really dealing with people outside of chain of command and all that. But by this point, they've they've been around Sid. They've they've served other missions outside of the army, and they've even had interactions with people that have warned them about her. Right? Yeah, yeah. Be careful about her. She'll backstab you just like she did me and all that kind of stuff. And yet, you get this the fact that the betrayal comes across as as unexpected, and they should have. They should have seen it, right? You know, curse your inevitable betrayal here. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's also like them learning and, and growing because now they're not just, you know, they're not given their missions by, you know, high command. They're not doing, you know, there's not that identifiable enemy anymore like it was when you're fighting, you know, the, the droid army, the separate separatists. So, yeah, I mean, you know, they're out in the real world, so to quote unquote, you know, they're, they're learning, they're evolving. They're questioning more about what they should do. Now they're not clone army. And I guess... Being mercenaries for Sid anyway isn't as exciting as it initially was last season. They kind of get more and more of a taste of freedom this season. It seems like you know they they kind of like going off on their own. They're exploring for fun, kind of. And then of course they wind up on Pabu, 
and they get a taste of like the quiet life. Like what would happen if they just settled down with a peaceful group of people away from the empire, no worries, no one shooting at them, just, you know, sailing, fishing, helping fix things, just, you know, basically retirement. <laughs> yeah. Hakuna Matata. But um, <laughs> I, I think that, you know, unfortunately we know this, this can't be their fate, right? Cause we know that a, we've got more seasons of the show, hopefully. But also because when we come into the future of Star Wars, we don't have this group of soldiers just hanging out on Fijinoa to come to our rescue. So uh, there's obviously got to be more between then and I keep wanting to say the modern day Star Wars timeline, but but where we know the timeline goes to, I guess is what I'll say. Yeah, because you know the you know, the Empire is not just going to settle with what you know they've got hold of. You know they're going to conquer everything they can get their hands on. So either they did kind of go into retirement on Pabu and just relax. You know at some point they're going to show up. You, you know it, so. Yeah, because you know by the time we got to Rebels, spoilers for Rebels, you know, Rex would have recruited them right off the bat if they were available, so. Yep, and then, so that's kind of a little bit, so then we kind of, at the last two and a half, three episodes of the, of the season, they kind of wrap things up, or at least give us the exciting cliffhangers for season three, which is coming, we know, so. Uh, you know, we get the crosshair escaping being tortured by Dr. Hemlock, and actually calls back to the Bad Batch, so that's kind of surprising. Although I guess when you're being tortured enough by your former employers, you know that maybe you start questioning. Well, what was I doing? <laughs> maybe they weren't as good as I thought they were. And so even the most hardcore trooper can probably change his mind. And that's what Hemlock, who has an awesome name by the way, uh, was driving them towards, right? Because in the end, that's that's exactly what he wanted is to draw them out and and get Omega. Yeah, because he wants them, but really he wants Omega, because that's you know he's all about the cloning, as we'll learn more here eventually. We'll get to that here in a second. And you know a couple of throwbacks. They they throw back uh, uh, Saw Gerrera again, because you know he's a major player behind the scenes. You know this time through the movies, and you know they're trying to find out about this secret advanced science division where Hemlock and those guys are at. And we we kind of learned of their supposed plans to use that cloning technology to somehow not quite sure yet, which I guess we'll get to next year, next season. See, I'm doing it too. Next season. <laughs> <laughs> you know, establish total control of the galaxy, however that works. Not sure. But probably it does involve Omega. So that's cool. At least now we're finally getting back to her. And we, you know, do more, learn more about her. That, you know, she's an unmodified replica or version of Django Fett. So that's interesting. And I'm not uh, quite gets... clear on how that works, but yeah. Yeah, I guess it's the same DNA, just different. Is that male? She's female? Whatever. And possibly force sensitive, maybe kind of. I don't know. We're not, that's quite not sure either, right? We're not sure. And then, you know, she gets captured and, and sent to where Crosshair is. And then, apparently, one of those scientists there, Emery Carr, is also a clone of Django, or more like so. Her and Omega are sisters, she said. So that's that's interesting. So, you know, nice kind of keep feeding us the little tidbits here and there to keep us interested and keep us going. So, I can't wait to see how that plays out next season. You know, is she going to be a, a friend and help? Omega and Crosshair, or is she kind of just like playing them to be like, you know, oh, hey, I'm one of you guys, or I, I can help you. So who knows? Interesting. Yeah, which leaves us on a great cliffhanger. You know, you've got a adult female clone uh, and Omega interacting, so that'll be a, a fun uh, dynamic between the two of them. I think that that we haven't seen right because so far she's been the only female clone that we've had to deal with. The other part I found interesting about that that you just kind of hit was the. Uh, the location of their lab was Mount Tantus, which uh, played heavily into the Timothy Zahn stuff. If you haven't mm -hmm. read any of that, it's still kind of a neat, neat throwback to some of the, uh, are they calling it net legends now or, or whatever they're calling the, the non-canon Star Wars book series. But that, that was, that was an interesting uh, thing to throw out when you're dealing with cloning to throw Mount Tantus in there. So. Yeah. It's cool. how They're kind of like trying to weave back in some of, what was in, yeah, is it Legends? I think it's what it's called, yeah. So, which, you know, that's what I grew up on, right? After the movies were done, and we thought, well, that was it. We're not going to get anything else for, like, the next 30 years until the next trilogy came out. You know, I read, like, every single book that, you know, they produced, basically. Whether it was young adult, adult, I didn't care what it was. It was Star Wars. I'm reading the books, you know, so I'm, that was my entire... Yeah, like, I'm looking over adult, my shoulder. Half my adult I'm life, over... you know? <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking over my shoulder at a, a bookshelf that contains... Uh, half Dragonlance and half Star Wars novels from the Legends now. Yeah, I mean, you can argue that some got a little crazy towards the end there with the whole uh, solo children thing and and the 
using Vong, whatever, you know, like, okay, fine, Yuzan whatever. Yuzan Vong. Yeah. yeah. But all the other stuff was, you know, I loved it. You know, it was, it was great. And then thinking about it, like, do, so if Emery is a clone of Django and like, but not, not like Omega, I guess, cause, or does Hemlock not know she's a clone or is she a clone, but not the one she, that he wants because Omega's got something special or different that Emery doesn't, which I guess we'll, we'll know well, see next year the probably part. When, they, when they wrap it up. But yeah, it's like, wait a minute. Yeah. It's almost like he wanted her for the Kaminoans as leverage, right? Because she's supposed to be of interest to the, the Kaminoan that they, I can't say that word. The Kaminoan <laughs> that they have as a as, as a prisoner, but I think that em- Emery Carr, the other clone, is kind of also there and kind of conspiring to get her get Omega there. So you have possibly two angles, right? You've got Hemlock's angle and Carr's angle, and it'd be interesting to see how those are they the same or are they different. Yep, they set up a lot of nice questions for season three, so I can't wait. And then of course the big. <laughs> Not elephant in the room, but whatever you want to call it. You know, the last episode or two where it was uh, Tech appears to sacrifice himself so that the others could get off that, uh, as always, you know, you know, walkway thing above, you know, millions of feet of drop or whatever, you know, the, <laughs> their little cable cars. But, you know, all they show them, though, are his goggles. So I'm of the firm hope slash belief that in, like, most of these kind of shows, nobody equals no death. So me personally, I don't think Tech is dead. I think I'll show up next season, which I hope so, because he's kind of one of my favorite members of the Bad Badge. Which, unfortunately, is why I think he's actually dead. Um, <laughs> the, the, sorry. The, the Clone Wars series never hesitated to kill off characters, right? Especially the ones we got attached to. Um, yeah, true. That was one of the things that I always found amazing about it. And if I remember correctly, you know, Echo, you know, to kind of reference back from earlier, is the only one left of his original entire squad that we were originally introduced to when they were still in the training center, um, which is why he originally had the name Echo, because he used to say things back when he was given an order. Uh, so, yeah, I, not that I didn't like tech, because uh, it, it, it hit me hard, too, uh, especially since we spent so much time this season uh, getting to know him, his interactions with Omega, and then also you know introducing a possible love interest for him. So, yeah, we get a lot of time spent with him this, this year slash season, and that that's kind of why I'm thinking they were kind of setting him up for the fall. The other piece of it that I'm I'm thinking maybe the reason they they quote killed him off is that they've they've got already got Echo, which is a kind of a tech oriented character, you know, technology oriented character. So there's a little bit of overlap, but also if they're looking to bring Crosshairs back, it's a lot of characters, right? There's a, there's a lot of Bad Batch team members to split time between, and so there's possibly just a need to for economy of characters to reduce because we've got you know they, they added echo then they added omega and now we've got a, another female clone which may or may not interact more with the team so i think they're just trying to to trim some of the number of characters they have to deal with on the show yeah i mean i thought about that i thought yeah they, they could bring crosshair back in then they'd be back to their full squad of course assuming tech's alive but if not then yeah i mean you're still back up to five plus omega right five whatever and then you know to your point before if you you know fast forward through to rebels which happened before this you know in the real world but after in the show world you don't hear about them at all which of course you know they probably didn't know about them back then but anyway the point being yeah i mean they all could not be alive anyway by the time we get however far rebels is from here so but who knows that's why they keep us hooked on these things and you know string us along. So we we can all hope. You know, I can I can hope Tech is still alive. We'll see. And that yeah, you know, cross, cross, did, cross hair and become to... you know become best buddies again. And they'll be, you know get, be a happy family. And wrap up season three. We'll see. Yeah, wasn't trying to shoot down your dreams. I just you know <laughs> saw a purpose there. So sorry about that. No, I mean I, I could, it makes sense too. I mean they did a lot of build up and stuff. So but when he did sacrifice himself, you would feel it because you had all this build up over the all, all of the season. So it would make it you know resonate more. But then again, it is science fiction. So you know we got we got clones, we got force clones, we got force projection, we got all kinds of magical, mystical, sciencey things. Why not tech has got saved before he before he hit the ground? His, his goggles just fell off and he got swooped away. Well, Nana, we'll see. Well, and funny enough, that's exactly what happened to Echo, right? I mean, Echo was thought dead for a long time before they found him and uh, cybernetically plugged into a computer 
and that's where he got reintroduced to the Bad Batch. So, yeah, they could always bring tech back in some other mechanism as well. Yep. It's a cartoon, and it's science fiction. Anything's possible. All right. Well anything said. else? Yep. <laughs> anything else about season two of Bad Batch we didn't talk about, which is, you know, granted, probably a lot because it's 16 episodes, and we didn't go into my issue of every episode, but we hit the highlights, I think. No. I, I mean, obviously, this is probably my favorite. Uh, well, yeah, I'll say it. This is my favorite Star Wars medium right now. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the, the Bad Batch and look forward to it coming out. So now we have the the hard wait for season three, right? Where we have to just kind of, I don't think we've got a, a timeline yet. So we just have to kind of sit and wait and hope. Yep. You know, as always, they're knocking it out of the park with the Star Wars properties. Minus half of Book of Boba Fett. <laughs> Which was still better than a lot of TV we've had in the history so you know it's the, the problem is the measuring stick yeah but hey I'm, I'm all into star wars i have been since 77 so i mean you know to me they can't do any wrong unless they went completely off the rails which they haven't yet so yeah i'm excited for yeah. season three and where it goes and maybe if they somehow can work some of them somehow into the live action stuff maybe one of these days i don't know we'll see what happens yeah good dream I've been a fan for a little bit less than you, being as I wasn't alive in '77. But, um, <laughs> but, but, yeah. Uh, echo everything else you just said. All right, so I guess that concludes our Bad Batch review. And if we think of something else besides Farscape next time, we'll jump on that. But we're kind of at the lull of summerish television, so we might have to wait until the fall happens or when the writer's strike that's ongoing right now in Hollywood is over and they get back to scripting things and working on whatever's coming next. So who knows? So stay tuned, keep watching and keep listening and we'll let you know what we do next. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you later. Bye. See ya.